0: This week on Punch Mountain, if you only see one movie this year where parkour enthusiasts get exploded out of the sky, by God, make it this one. Cancel that face surgery because we're watching Punisher Warzone. Punch Mountain starts
1: now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb. it. imagine if we could make mountains, David. What a life. My name is Mac Blake, and I'm joined as always by the man who can make mountains. Whoa, what a crazy introduction. David Hada, how are you? I'm making mountains out of molehills every single day of my life, Mac. Oh, I forgot about the power of metaphor, David. Yes. Humanity's strongest weapon outside of our nuclear weapons.
0: I'm doing all right, Mac. I'm looking forward to talking Punisher War Zone with you. Not Punisher War Journal. That's another comic book entirely. Was Punisher War Zone a comic book?
1: Yes, it sure was, David. Because the Punisher was so popular at some point, that Marvel Comics gave him three monthly comics. It was Punisher, the Punisher. Excuse me, Punisher War Journal, which was the Punisher, but with like you know his thoughts and like emotions. Hmm. Just for more money, they made Punisher War Zone. At the time, I don't remember who wrote it, probably Chuck Dixon, but the artist was John Romita Jr. And I I remember the cover, I could still picture it, because John Romita Jr., he's a comic book artist, and his, his figures are just like very large, and he's very good at drawing dudes with busted up faces. It's like Punisher on the cover. And I think like maybe um, this is back in the '90s, David. When comic book publishers look, look how fast we're already like. Um, you you set a little nerd trap for me, David, and I said yum yum yum. What's in this trap?
0: This is going to be the episode. It's just gonna, we're going to talk about a chunk of stuff, and then I'm going to be like, Mac, is this comics? And then you're going to talk for a few minutes.
1: Let me ask you right off the bat, David. First shot. Ch-ch-ch-ch. Did you like this movie? Did you have fun watching it?
0: This movie's what I'm going to call a noble failure, and I and I'm going to refer to a lot of movies like that over the course of this show. There's a lot to like about it. There's a lot to dislike about it. Depending on how you feel on any given day, one's going to feel more than the other. H- how about you, Mac? I, I really feel like I'm going to follow your lead on this episode. I, I just kind of want to drift behind you and mo- mostly agree with your points.
1: I don't necessarily disagree with Noble Failure. Because, yeah, this movie, for some reason, just doesn't feel like it quite gets it home. But, yeah, there's a lot in this movie that's, uh, that's fun. I think this is like a really good... Like midnight movie. It's funny that this was a theatrical release because this feels like a fun Netflix find. <laughs> you know, we're like, oh shit, Ray Stevenson was in a movie. But part of watching this movie now, David, it just kind of felt weird watching a Punisher movie in the year of our goddess, 2023. Because the Punisher is based on a comic book, David, as we've already established. And it, the character is like very much of its time, right? Because it came around in the 80s and 90s is when it was like super popular. And that's, of course, when, you know, there was all this like rising crime in the country. And we thought we needed the Punisher to go into New York City and shoot up some adult theaters, Bleh. when all we need is a fascist like Rudy Giuliani, I guess, to clean up New York and turn Times Square into a giant m M&M store. And of course, the other, the elephant in the room is that the Punisher logo, if you see it on something, your first thought isn't like, oh, it's the Punisher. I'm talking about his death's head skull logo that he wears on his chest sometimes. That logo has been like co-opted by Trump idiots, right? But also by the police. Like, you see, like, police sporting this logo, which that is uh, not great to have people that are supposed to, you know, protect and serve just be, like, murder and never ask. But I guess, you know, and also, like, it was the unit, like, Chris Kyle, American Sniper, right? Was that his name, Chris Kyle? Yes, that's right. He His, like, squad, they call themselves the Punishers. And so maybe it's, like, you know, following suit from that. But whatever its origin, in terms of... uh being co-opted. Maybe it was, you know, noble intentions at first, just a, a bunch of people wanted to call themselves a cool name. Hell, the Marvel Comics softball team was called the Punishers for a while. <laughs> I only know that because they would write it in their little letter columns or something like that. And I think that I don't know if that they, they played against the DC Bullets or not. Wow. Because that's what the little like the little Yeah, DC, the DC logo. Yeah. The little, called a little bullet. But yeah, it, it's just a weird kind of place to find ourselves in. Marvel Comics has actually changed the logo of the Punisher character to be something else and the creator of the Punisher, or at least the, not the visual designer, but the writer, Gary Conway, unless it's Jerry Conway, I don't know. How how would you say G-E-R-R-Y? I said Jerry. Yeah. He ain't down with no murder cops either. So I mean, it's, (laughs) it is kind of what it is. Yeah.
0: Okay. This is perfect. This is exactly, you know, I kind of wanted to follow your lead on this because you said a lot of the things that I was thinking, but wasn't sure that I meant like this is a really good midnight movie in that there are going to be people who would, be people who really love it and people who really hate it. There's going to be people who just like gravitate towards the extreme violence and the silliness to it and there are people who are going to want it more silly or more realistic. This is a very divisive movie, so I'm not going to like plant my flag one way or the other. I'm just going to appreciate it for the craziness that it is. I'm going to hold you to be the authority for all things comics for this episode. But, you know, cuz especially with regard to the Punisher and the Punisher logo and the co-opting of it, that's something that puzzled me and I was kind of hoping Forgive me for looking for this movie for an answer to it. I was hoping this movie would kind of emphasize some sort of relationship with the cops, you know, whether it was going to be cops are stupid or cops are bastards, cops are corrupt, anything like that, in order to get some insight on as to why cops have gravitated towards this. But it really feels like just a miscommunication. They, like you said, they just wanted to be called the Punishers, not understanding that this guy represents going outside of law enforcement or that the cops who fetishize this want to be outside of law enforcement it's a crazy scene man and i don't really like where it's gone
1: no i mean the a striking image the punisher's like skull logo part of me thinks the reason it just got co-opted is just because somebody goes that's that looks cool i mean just this week i saw the punisher skull logo then instead of being you know white on black it was uh, red white and blue it said trump on it and it was on the back of a truck at my kids daycare yeah, I think people just mistake the Punisher for being a badass and not for, you know, what he is, which is a murderer or whatever. But you know what? This this might be the best representation of the Punisher. Now David, let me ask you. Is this your first time watching the movie? This is my
0: first time watching this movie. This is my first time watching any of the Punisher movies. That's right. I missed out on the the Dolph Lundgren one. I think I was sick when the Thomas Jane one came out. So, yeah, this will be my first punisher motion picture
1: i have seen them all i and i've watched season one of the netflix punisher i never made it to season two of that and I, you know i thought john bernthal did a great job i'm gonna call him johnny bernthal like we're friends i don't necessarily remember all of the thomas jane punisher movie it has definitely been a decade <laughs> since i've seen it decade plus but something that punisher warzone has going for it because this is our first like marvel movie even though it's not part of the mcu it's like a you know, technically like a comic book superhero, even, I don't know if you'd call him a superhero, but (laughs) is that there's no effort here to like make this like a prestige movie. Like with with Thomas Jane, like, oh, we got to get John Travolta to play the villain and this will be like a tentpole movie. With this thing, it's like, let's cast Ray Stevenson. I don't know if he's starred in another movie since. (laughs) It just, it felt like, hey, let's just make a Punisher movie. We don't have to worry about it grossing like a hundred million dollars. It felt like they tried to make the Punisher like what he is, a, a psychopath. And I think they were successful in that.
0: Oh, I think the most galvanizing parts of this movie, or I think the most encouraging parts of this movie are the parts where you get the sense that the cast and crew felt like they can't fire us all. Like they just (laughs) sort of had that recklessness to it. Let's just make it. And whatever happens, happens.
1: So I thought I saw this movie for the first time on video. And then I remember watching it again later after uh, an episode of How Did This Get Made. I don't follow that podcast religiously. I do think it's a great podcast. The guests were... Patton Oswalt, and director Lexi Alexander. And the way they broke down the movie made me really excited to watch it again. And I did, I definitely like, it, I think I, it changed how I view this movie for sure. I got a little bit more excited about it. If there's recommended listening at the end of this episode, it would be to track down that particular episode of How Did This Get Made. I didn't remember, oh, wait, no, I saw this movie in theaters.
0: <laughs> I was wondering, I thought maybe you did.
1: Yeah, because it was, I guess it was during that time where I had to go see everything like this in theaters. And I think at the time I was either in school or unemployed, which being in school is, is also unemployed. And so I saw like a matinee showing and I went with associate of the show, uh, Joe, called Joe P. And Joe P was working as a teacher at the time. And we, we show up. It was one of his former students. He's like, hey, Mr. What F? Hey, Mr. P." And he's like, oh, hey, shouldn't you be in school right now? And the kid goes, hey, what can I get for you? <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you're a hell of a teacher, Joe. Um, no, that's not on him. But we're watching the movie, right, David? There's not a whole lot of people on a like a Friday at 2 p.m. showing of uh, Punisher Warzone. But also in the theater is some guy who's kind of like, he's talking to his friend, right? But look, there's only a small group of people in the theater, you know, me and Joe and this guy and his friend. And so if he's going to like talk to the movie, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's just Punisher Warzone, for some reason, not a movie where I'm going to be like, oh, excuse me, this is a quiet zone. Kind of when I say talking, you know, like Punisher killed someone, he'd be like, damn, or like, that's got to hurt, or like... <sighs> Couldn't get me near that Punisher. Or like, damn, Punisher, punish him. Joe and I were getting into her we laughing. Anyway, lights come up. There's not two people behind us, David. There's just one. <laughs> he was talking to us the whole time. But you know what? That was it was it was great. It, I, it added flavor to Punisher Warzone. Okay, David, before we go any farther, I think it would help to clear up some common questions, right? If you search Punisher Warzone, if you type that into Google, the results include these frequently asked questions. So we'll do some quickly provided answers. David, is The Punisher Warzone a sequel to The Punisher? Of
0: course not, it would have been called Punisher War to own. Mac, is Punisher Warzone on Netflix?
1: Only one way to find out, David. Flag down your local police officer, flash him a uh, Blue Lives Matter sticker, and he'll let you into a secret Punisher police murder club, and he'll be like, uh, yeah, no, it's not on Netflix. David, is Punisher Warzone a good movie? Not even for a bit. (laughs) Mac,
0: why is Punisher Warzone rated R?
1: Because it only rises, David, unlike the movie RRR course is rise revolt and i think the third one is repeat david before we check in with a nut jobs one person more on crime let's check in on some goober's two-person battle to remain buddies that's us david how you doing for real this time how you doing david i'm doing all right did you say goober yeah goober okay just making sure i was like
0: there's something very friendly about that i i I appreciate being i want to be your goober yeah well
1: you're my goober buddy also isn't goober like a uh that's like a synonym for a peanut, right?
0: Oh, I thought it was like a, like a soft headed gentleman. I thought I was like, uh, I thought you were making fun of me.
1: No, I, I looked I looked it up, the definition goober a peanut, because there was a little playoff of calling the Punisher a nut job. Yeah. <laughs> and there were a couple goobers. That's very cute. We don't need to do this friendship chicken, David, because I think this friendship is going pretty good.
0: Uh, I'm doing all right, Mac. Uh, you know, we've been away for a little bit. We got knocked off of our regular uh, recording schedule. And man, apparently that's all it took to knock me off of like my life cycles and schedules entirely. So like now I'm getting ready to do the show again. You know, we're getting ready to record and I kind of forget how. So like I've been drinking my coffee. I've also I've got a variety of beverages because I don't know how I feel. I've got I've got water. I've got a (laughs) Coca-Cola. I've got something stronger and I just finished my coffee. It's like a real minority report of beverages right now. I'm just kind of like switching back and forth. And, and I'm hoping somewhere around the second act of this uh, of this movie, I can get in sync with uh, with how this thing goes.
1: It's funny you mentioned minority report, David, because didn't you work for a while as, a, as a, a precog? I sure hope so. I was in that loop for a long time. I mean, I, I remember coming to your office one time to have lunch and like, you know, you're just like sitting there soaking in that water, that tank. Did you like that job? No! Shaved head, naked as a jaybird. Uh, the pay was not great. Oh, you should have seen that coming. So, uh, David, I did some shows, some in-person shows recently, including some with Master Pancake Theater, Austin's favorite movie mocking group. Nay, David, the Southwestern United States' favorite movie mocking group. That's right, we're coming for you, the Tucson movie talking team. And after one of the shows, David, a very nice couple, uh, came up to me. Their names were Chris and Judy. I remember that because I wrote them fucking down.
0: Wow, look at
1: you. And they were like, hey, uh, we like Punch Man. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And they said, we got a big laugh out of, I don't know, <laughs> this is not a direct quote. I think I came up with big laugh. They said that they they expressed some enjoyment over uh, my punch up for Top Gun Maverick, which if you missed that episode, my punch up was that Top Gun Maverick should cross over with the Transformers at the end. And then I was like, you know what, guys, I actually kept thinking about that. I think there's a different way to do it. And then I started talking more about how I would tease a Transformers Top Gun crossover. And I just watched their eyes glaze over David. I don't know what my problem is.
0: Mac, you got, you got to leave this show in, <laughs> confined to the show. If you, try to, if you try to expand it beyond this, it, it won't take.
1: My passion for really stupid things is just unquenchable, David.
0: I just—I uh, know, that's why we're doing the show. I thought we could uh, put the fire out.
1: Put the fire out, but David, it's been burning since the world's been turning. Is it time, David? Mac, we're going in. All right, David, just a level set, can you do me a favor and read the back of the box write-up for this movie, Punisher Warzone?
0: Okay, but now you're going to owe me one. Ex-Special Forces Officer Frank Castle, Ray Stevenson Rome, is back with all guns blazing as the Punisher, this time waging a one-man war on two fronts. While targeting the vicious mob boss, Billy Russati, Castle horribly disfigures the gangster in a firefight that also claims the life of an undercover FBI agent. Now the Punisher must find a way to elude the law and decimate a deadly crime army in this adrenaline-packed action thriller. 2008 103 minutes directed by lexi alexander rated r for pervasive strong brutal violence language and some drugs
1: boiler alert i guess that uh, the fact that he knocks off an undercover fbi agent is not something they want the movie to tell us
0: also a lot of passive voice on that one it, it, it feels like maybe a law enforcement officer wrote that was like it claimed the life of an fbi agent we don't know how that happened i guess he <laughs> fell on a bullet like fuck you
1: it happens it happens. <laughs> <laughs> David, before this movie even starts, we get some opening credits, including not that, th- 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 not the uh, page-turning Marvel Studios logo we're used to, but we get the Marvel Knights page-turning logo. That's because this movie is rated R, and they don't want people to be like, "Oh, is this movie uh, about uh, Spider-Man and Daredevil uh, bouncing around being friends?" No, this is a this is a murder, David. And so this
0: is uh is Marvel Knights, not Marvel. Is Marvel Knights still a brand? Are they still making Marvel Knights
1: movies? You know what? That remains to be seen because once Marvel started consolidating all their characters in a single universe, they have not released an R-rated movie. However, I think Deadpool 3, whatever that's going to be called, is supposedly going to be R-rated. So we'll see if they call that Marvel Knights or, or Max or whatever they want to call it. I'm hoping... They replaced the uh, Marvel Studios logo with just, a, a you know, animated Bob Guccione from Penthouse coming on and be like, hey, <laughs> I couldn't believe this is happening to me, dear Penthouse Letters.
0: But Mac, we open on some TV footage exposition. We learned that local NYC mob Don Gaetano Cesare had a witness murdered, thus escaping prosecution again. This means it's time for Frank Castle, aka The Punisher, RRR's Ray Stevenson.
1: Oh, not to not to.
0: To gear up for a one-man assault on a party in Cesare's honor. Cesare's Party is where we'll meet the brash young mob capo, Billy the Butte Rusati, played by Dominic West. You know him, he's McNulty from The Wire and he'll never be anything else. And his sleazebag crew, Nicky, Ink, and Pitsy, and the rest of the Pac-Man ghosts. Staking out the joint is Bumbling Cop Soap and his semi-bumbling partner, Safiati, played by Dash Mihawk and Tony Calabretta, respectively. Good grief, Mac, these names already.
1: First of all, let's uh, start at the, be- the end. Dash Mihok. I got to say, normally when I see this dude in a movie, I'm not excited to see him in this movie, but I liked him in this movie. He kind of plays a lot of time this kind of like, uh, you know, like a meatball character, like, you know, like, big and a little bit, a little bit stupid or whatever. But for some reason, him as Detective Soap, I don't know. I, I, I liked him in this thing. He added the right touch of humor without being too clownish
0: in in some spots he's perfect in some spots he's not i'm gonna say that about almost literally everything in this movie like there's sometimes when you could really feel like oh he is supposed to be the bumbling you know cop who grabs his hat and kind of tries to hide under it that sort of thing but then other times it's just like what the fuck are you doing in this movie like it's this movie's so fascinating i i'm i'm, I'm getting more excited thinking about
1: talking about the rest of this yeah so we meet billy the butte rosati played by dominic west Another guy, kind of like John Hamm, in a way, where like he had this awesome role on a prestige cable show, and then oh, that was the height of your career. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> as much as someone loves John Hamm, it's, is he ever going to top Don Draper? I don't, I don't know if he is going to. I don't know. Those Apple commercials are pretty good. Oh, you, Apple commercials! I, I think you're talking about Progressive, the ones where he's horny for flow. That sounds dirty. But Dominic West is another guy that, like, I mean, granted, I never saw the affair. Maybe that's like real good. I'm always excited to see Dominic West in something. I feel like he's he's always pretty watchable. But he shows up and he's like checking out his hair in the mirror because I guess he's supposed to be very vain and handsome. Which look, I I think Dominic West is, is handsome, but he's not like beautiful. Which <laughs> it's just a little weird that he's like you know Billy the Butte because he's so good looking. It's like okay, I guess if that's what we all call him. But his date tries to fix his hair and he grabs her throat. He's like, I'll tell you how to do your makeup. It's so a right away he's like way too physically abusive with this woman. This tells us two things: one, this dude sucks, and two. There will be no subtlety to this character. There will be no sort of like deep like, oh, you know, this this guy has his own struggles. You know, maybe I can kind of relate to him at all. It's like, no, he's a cartoon bad guy. He's like twirling his mustache from the get go.
0: Billy the Butte, I almost thought was one of those like sarcastic nicknames where like they'll call, you know, a short guy stretch because look, Dominic West, handsome guy. Don't get me wrong, but he's got a very challenging face. And it, and it does not get better as the movie goes on. You know, of course, that's the joke. You could have hired a beautiful person for this movie.
1: <laughs> He's got, like, rugged good looks. He's not like Lee Pace, David. Yeah, which, you know, uh, I look at him and my life changes. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Billy's got his, like, bag crew, Nikki, Ink, and Pitsy. And I guess Ink is Pitsy's son. Pitsy looks over at Ink and he goes, Hey, keep your nose clean, all right? He walks away. And then as soon as Pitsy turns around, Ink brings a little bit of a little cocaine bump up to his nose and just does a little key bump right there real quick or whatever. But the fact that he had it right there, because it was just out of frame. So when was like, hey, keep your nose clean, he must have been like holding it like, uh-huh, like just right there, ready to roll. It was pretty funny.
0: I love it when characters in movies are aware of the aspect ratio, where it's just like, the Coke spoon is right down here, the it's right there now, like, I love
1: it. Like if Bitsy was like, hey, uh, keep a, keep a low profile, don't make too much noise, and Ink is like, uh-huh, and then when Bitsy turns around, he pulls a tuba out of, like, below frame. <laughs> it's like, you saw that fucking tuba, dude.
0: Yeah, but at least that's what this movie's gonna be, and that, that's totally fine. What kind of movie is it gonna be? It's gonna be the kind of movie where you cut to... The two cops, uh, Salt and Safiati.
1: Salt, David? His name is Soap. Okay. Soap.
0: Oh, forgive me. Okay. Co-created
1: yeah. by Garth Innes and Steve Dillon. Rest in power, Steve Dillon. Show little respect.
0: So he's going to be one of the many characters, I ask. Okay, so he was a character in the comic? Good. But yeah, they're basically sitting in this car doing like a hype man stakeout where they're like... They're they're casing the joint They're you know, they're staking out the the Cesare party, but they're like, oh, I can't wait for the Punisher to get here. He does the things that we can't, you know, go Punisher, like a little pennant that says Punisher on it. Like very quickly, this movie is painting in such broad strokes that I can't help but notice that it's just going to be a broad kind of movie.
1: Yeah. And again, we hit up with some problematic stuff with the Punisher. The idea that the police are like rooting for him is like, yeah, we got to do this whole thing where we give people fair trials and whatnot. But the Punisher, he just murders them. It's like, okay, cool. This is a comic book story. Great. But in real life, please, you cannot think that way. I am so sorry. You cannot. You cannot be like, yeah, we like this Punisher guy. He's got a good attitude. <laughs> Inside the mansion, Billy meets with his uncle, right? Don Cesari, or I think they say Cesari at some point, which do you, is that how it's pronounced? Or are you just in a British guy, like fumbling your way through fake Italian or something? Played by John Dunhill. And Don Cesari thanks Billy for handling the witness situation. You following me, David? I do, yes. Billy informs the Don of a money-making plan to help Russian crime family the Balots import a quote-unquote biological package. Tempers, flare and Billy refuses to join the dinner party. That's a good thing for him and his crew because the Punisher crashes the dinner and kills everything with a pulse. So, David, Billy is meeting with the Don, and he's like, I got a good deal, you know, it's going to be worth uh, $10 million. He's like, okay, what are they importing? And he's like, biological package. He's like, biological package. Because so here's the thing about Cesare, right? Sure. He's a mob boss, David, but he's also a patriot, right? And he remembered two things about 9-11. Number one, never forget. Number two, always be racist, ABR. Oh, the biological. Oh, I know what that is. It's going to the R-A-G heads, is what he says. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, sure, great. And he's like, we don't touch that shit, which is funny because, you know, you watch old mob movies, and the mobsters were like, we don't do drugs, all right? We don't touch that kind of shit. Now it's like, yeah, 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 drugs are good. Terrorism, no. All right, we don't do updates. And then Billy's like, yeah, suck my dick or whatever he says. A little bit of tension here in the crime family.
0: It, it became clear to me very quickly that Marvel Knights is just code for casual racism. Because, like, there's no nudity in this movie. There's violence every in every movie that they make. So it's really just, hey, we get to say some really awful things and just blame it on the characters in the movies.
1: Here's what I think about various ethnic minorities. Can you write this down?
0: Mac, This is a, a terrific impression, by the way, of, of Don Cesare, played by John Don Hill. He reminded me of, uh, do you remember Animaniacs? Do you remember the Good Feathers? Yes. The, uh, the, yeah, <laughs> he reminds me of like the Don, like the, the God Feather, basically. The sort of like Brando archetype. He's he just
1: talking like this. Man, oh man, this movie. <laughs> I remember watching the Animaniacs and then finding out later, like, oh, it's a playoff of, I think I was familiar with the Goodfellas, it being a movie, when I watched Goodfellas later being like... What the fuck? They wanted to parody this on a kids show.
0: Yeah, they, they nailed a lot of these beats. This whole exchange is weird, but I'll tell you what: this is probably my favorite moment of Billy's in the movie because it's it's the perfect encapsulation encaps- of him. He walks in, he looks sharp. He's wearing like this velvet suit. You may be very envious of velvet suits in general. There's a moment where he's you know he's accepting the the accolades from the Don. And he's just sort of like, oh shucks. But then he catches himself in the mirror and gives himself a double take and kind of, uh, you know, preens himself in the mirror. That's the kind of stuff I wanted in this movie. It's it's McNulty's best moment.
1: Uh, it's downhill from there. So Cesari, in order to get under Billy's skin, he refers to his brother. His brother's name is James, but he's like, yeah, you crazy brother. Looney Bin Jim. Looney Bin Jim. That is a, That is just bad. That's just some bad writing. But then David, so Billy and his crew leave. And then a lot of mobsters wearing black ties, black shirts, black jackets. They sit down for dinner. The lights go out. When they come back on, it is time for our first action set piece, the dinner party massacre. Because when lights come back on, there's no lights, David. It's Punisher holding a fucking flare. And I got to say, this is an awesome intro to the Punisher character. Because as soon as he comes in, I think he just stabs some dude in the head with a knife, cuts off some other. He's just murdering people from the get-go. And then a lady stops. You're like, oh, Punisher will surely not murder this lady criminal. And hes I think he snaps her neck pretty decisively. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It's an awesome introduction to the Punisher. It says, because honestly, that I've, from what I remember about the Thomas Jane Punisher, is it kind of felt like a movie that with a couple edits could have been PG-13. Mm-hmm. And I think Punisher Warzone at this moment was being like, uh, well, no, we know how to do Punisher right, which is just have him fucking lay waste two dudes. So I, I, was, I was on board from the get-go.
0: I was very on board. This is going to be my first markout moment. The cutting of the sequence is really good. The sound design is spectacular because the soundtrack cuts out and you're just hearing clicks and clacks of guns you're hearing squishes of stab wounds you're you know it's really terrific i, I enjoyed that a lot
1: i only have one small complaint which is they're cutting so fast i didn't really get a good look at the punisher until a little bit later
0: i wondered if that was by design though because you know i struggle with the way this movie feels like the script feels like a very 90s comic book script where it doesn't know what it wants to be sometimes it's very serious sometimes it's too comical the actual movie making feels very post- batman begins very post dark night like did you catch a sense of that like this movie trying to figure out what the box office wants
1: yeah it did have a little bit of like born supremacy or whatever born ultimatum kind of fast editing but yeah it, it, it did feel a little schizophrenic like we'll go for that then no we won't and we'll go a little grindhouse i was trying to look up um what ray stevenson thought about this movie and he seemed to like it some website referred to it as a exploitation film who is getting exploited in this thing? <laughs> Squid manufacturers? The people who make fake blood? I, I just, I don't know. It just seemed like those, those good, good-natured good people at the fake head factory, I guess, were getting exploited. Yeah. But David, Ray Stevenson's Punisher, I gotta say, in terms of visual looks, my favorite Punisher. I mean, John Bernthal kind of has like a, you know, that kind of boxer's face that the Punisher has, but, you know, while John is a really good actor, he's kind of small. And for something about, like, the Punisher, I kind of want, like, a giant punisher dude ray stevenson fits that bill plus he's kind of wearing this like weird kind of larger collar like some sort of like tactical collar and it just kind of gives him like a little bit of i don't know like an executioner's look to it i think visually uh, he looks great
0: i'm torn on this one because i agree with you like ray stevenson you know just the physique of him and just the way he carries himself it's a perfect punisher the the one criticism i have is I feel like he might be too good of an actor for this. There are scenes in this movie where I really want him to emote beyond what Frank Castle can provide, and, and it was very frustrating. But as far as like the the costume of him, you know, as far like you said, it's you know, it's tactical. It, it feels like that sort of post Christopher Nolan, where the Batman costume did have to feel like a real world costume. It felt like it had to move. So we're doing that with the Punisher, but like seeing it now in twenty twenty three. It, it feels a little different, and that's unfair to the movie, but at the same time, it's like, well, now anyone can dress like this. There's no, there's nothing novel about this at all. It's actually quite frightening.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember in the Thomas Jane Punisher movie, at some point, Frank Castle's talking to his son, and his son's like, Hey, Dad, I got you this shirt I saw on the boardwalk, because that movie was set in fucking Tampa Bay. <laughs> and he's like, cool, son, let me see it. And it's like the Punisher skull logo shirt, and he's like, oh, tight shirt, son. And I was like, wow, this is the origin of the Punisher logo, but this movie doesn't fuck with that. He's just got a skull, and it's just, deal with it.
0: Once the massacre is done, the Punisher is stopped by Officer Safiati, who, instead of arresting Frank Castle for multiple murders, throws Frank the keys to a vehicle and informs him that Billy has retreated to a recycling plant. Billy meets with McGuinty, played by TJ Storm, and the parkour crew, and Frank resets his broken nose. That's a very tough thing to do. Frank infiltrates the recycling plant and kills nearly everyone, including Nikki, who, uh-oh, is actually an undercover FBI agent. One person the Punisher doesn't kill is Billy who instead gets horribly disfigured in the recycling plant's glass-crushing machine. How many times must Republicans tell you recycling is dangerous, Mac?
1: Kudos to our brave men and women of organized crime providing recycling, needed recycling services. So David, Officer Safiati, after he lets Frank go, he's like, oh no, I need to make it seem like the punisher hit me. Until he punches himself in the face and he's like, damn, that hurt. David, I don't think I could punch myself in the face with any sort of convincing way.
0: I feel like I... Could have in my darker years, like maybe in my twenties, I could have mustered up the the strength and courage to do it. But my question is, why? You know what I mean? Like by this point, the Punisher is this sort of mythical figure. He's the stuff of legend, almost like a Batman, to where no one, like a jury in the world, wouldn't convict you if the Punisher got away. You don't need to sell it to obviously a bunch of very stupid cops because they're you know they would have bought it anyway.
1: Yeah. Also, the Punisher is armed. You could be like, he pulled a gun. In fact, if I was the investigating officer, I was like, all right, the Punisher punched you? Yeah, but he had a gun. Why did he punch you? Ah, to teach me a lesson. <laughs> so Billy meets up with these dudes who like, uh, I guess they're like a courier service for him or they're setting up a deal. And they're the, what, the Free Flow gang? The Free Flow crew, I believe. Yeah, something like that. We meet them, they're doing some like real lazy parkour. Not parkour like the office parkour, but definitely not like opening of Casino Royale parkour. And then they have an accent what accent do these parkour guys have? I think it's supposed to be Jamaican, but it's not Jamaican me believe it. Uh-huh.
0: I almost want to say it's like specifically Prison Colony, New Zealand. Like it's one of those, it's like a bad place where nobody talks like this.
1: I was thinking that they were sea pirates. So maybe that maybe that's the same thing. Yeah.
0: That makes sense. He's the captain now. Organized crime makes for strange bedfellows because I never would have thought like the mafia would have gone into business with parkour people for any reason whatsoever. Like, is the mafia looking to capture that youth demographic? Why are they doing this?
1: <laughs> so, if that was true, David, who would the mafia team up with today?
0: Oh boy, I figure like uh, they'd go K-pop. I figure they'd go like uh,
1: is BTS still? A- oh, interesting. So they'd be teaming up with the uh, the Blackpink, like Lalisa. <laughs> I guess.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad. So I'm glad you knew more than one. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: But then, David, we have another action set piece here. Which we're going to call reuse, recycle, return to hell because it's fucking the Punisher just laying waste to all these dudes at the recycling center. And I'm pretty sure at one point he gives some dude an atomic elbow, which I didn't mark out, but I did go, hell yeah, at the screen.
0: Yeah, you know, he's he's wrecking shop pretty good. He, you know, the, the action and the violence in this movie is very good. The recycling center, I can't get over this. Like, like, how bad can these guys be if, you know, they're helpful in the community? This is how the mafia gets you. This is, you know, hey, I'm just, I'm here to protect, you know, in the interest of the neighborhood.
1: Well, David, for the longest time, my parents would not use the recycling services provided by the city of San Antonio because they were convinced that the mob owned recycling and they didn't want to give the mob their fucking aluminum cans so the mob could get rich off of it. I'm not making that up. That is
0: bananas. I love that so much.
1: <laughs> but David, the Punisher, fucks up here. He fucks up big because he shoots Nikki, and then as he's like, guess, looking for a gun or something on Nikki's corpse, he sees a wire, and he's like, "Oh no, this guy's a female body." No, he's a member of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, David. He's a Fed, undercover Fed. I, I like that. You know, it takes the Punisher
0: finding something like that to give this this corpse a, a voice or to give him a life. Like, I almost want an extended bit. Where he, you know, everybody, the Punisher shoots, he like searches him and finds some like, oh, here's a locket of a puppy. Oh, yeah, that was his puppy. Oh, shoot, I shot this guy. He had a ticket to Disneyland. He was going to go tomorrow. Like, all the Punisher needs to do is just find stuff on people in order to feel bad about it.
1: Don't, don't humanize these, these corpses that you're making. <laughs> you're so good at it.
0: But distraught over having accidentally killed a fed, Frank returns to his underground subway lair. Frank creeps on the funeral for the agent, where we also meet FBI agent Budiansky, played by Colin Salmon, and the agent's wife, Angela Donatelli, played by Julie Benz. Budiansky vows to Angie Donatelli that he will get her husband's killer. Angie Donatelli is gonna be one of those names like Richard Nornan, where I can't stop saying Angie Donatelli.
1: Yes, played by Julie Benz. So I was like, hey, it's that woman from the she was in the Things that I saw. I think she was in. I believe she's in Dexter.
0: That's right. Yes. All right. So Mac, we start this this chunk. You know, the Punisher's going underground. He, he goes to his little subway lair. Is this comics? And if so, what is there a name for this? Because it's like, you know, Batman has the Batcave, but it's not called the Batman Cave. So what is this?
1: This is Frank's creepy castle, David. Now, when the Punisher uh, leaves the crime scene to go back to Frank's creepy castle, he does not change his clothes at all. He has not like thrown an overcoat on. He's just like walking around like dressed like the fucking Punisher. Which, look, if you're a cop and you're looking for the Punisher, I would just tell people, hey, be on the lookout for the Punisher because <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't try to hide it. But when it's wrap-up time, right, and the, and the police and the feds come, one of the, the cops goes like, hey, we got a live one here. Looks like it's Billy the Butte, which I think this is the first time we actually hear him, someone use the name Billy the Butte. But also then we, he's like, yo, Billy the Butte, what's left of him? And then we cut and we see Billy the Butte, whose face is like red hamburger meat, which if it is, how the fuck did you know? like crime scene cop or whatever? Like, this is Billy the Butte. I, w- I would know this, this hair. And like, how did he know so fast? You know, like if you look at a, seriously, like a pound of ground hamburger meat uh, at, a, at a butcher store, David, you're like, oh, this is, I know this cow. This is, this is muffins.
0: Well, there's a difference between a cow and a cow wearing a beautiful velvet suit.
1: That's true. It was, it was a, a beautiful suit. So David, what do you think of the names in this movie? We got Budiansky, we got Donatelli.
0: It's a comic book, all right. Like I'm really, you know, there's something about a lot of choices in this movie. And in fact, you know, since we're at the funeral, there's a, there's a moment here where, where, you know, Frank is lurking on, on Donatelli's funeral. And then he happens to, he remembers, oh, we got some more bodies buried around here. So he goes to clean up the, or he goes to the headstone of his wife and his kids. And he starts like kind of, oh, this, this headstone's dirty. I got to polish it. It's so ridiculous because he'll never get it clean. It's a metaphor for his life. There's so many choices in this movie that feel like, like they would belong in MacGruber where it's just like something that's so 90s, like such a 90s movie trope or such an 80s movie trope that it's almost ridiculous. Budiansky, Donatelli, it's all ridiculous. I'm just going to lean into it.
1: Hey, Agent Caparoni, what are you doing here? <laughs> so he's cleaning the headstone, and he has a flashback to his family getting killed. Now, David, this is interesting, because what this flashback tells you is that this movie is not a sequel to the Thomas Jane Punisher movie, because in that movie... Uh, Thomas Jane's family was killed in Tampa Bay Mm -hmm. at like a beach or whatever, including his dad, Roy Schneider. Oh, okay. But in in this one, it matches more with that comic book Punisher origin, which is his family witnesses a mob hit and then they get shot to pieces. I don't think it was mimicking a specific panel in the comic. Like, I don't think there's a famous image of Frank Castle kneeling around his parents the way there is of like Batman, where there's like a sort of a famous kind of uh, David Mazzucchelli composition of of young Bruce Wayne kneeling next to his dead parental units. Parental units? (laughs) With my hilarious 90s uh, dad all of a sudden? (laughs) Were you a
0: conehead? Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, no, there was something about the way this was shot. I'm I'm glad you answered that because it felt like they were trying to score points by mimicking the shot. Like it really did, like even with the white background, there was something about it that was just kind of so evocative of a cover. That I saw years ago, or something. I just wanted to make sure. So back at the 12th Precinct, FBI Agent Budiansky finds NYPD's official Punisher Task Force located in the basement.
1: Turns out the entire task force is just one dude, Detective Soap. We met him earlier.
0: Oh, lovely. That that's uh, that'll get a lot of work done. Uh, but this is a good place to catch up on Frank Castle's backstory. We also check in on Frank back at the Punishment Cave, where he's saying hello and goodbye to his weapons connect slash only friend microchip, played by Space Jam's Wayne Knight.
1: Hey, you may know him as Newman, but I, of course, know him as Michael Jordan's handler from the movie Miss Jim. So Agent Budiansky, he goes down to uh, the NYPD precinct here where these cops do not give a shit that the Punisher just killed effectively kind of one of their own, even though it's an FBI agent. And we meet uh, the New York City police captain who is also talking like a mobster for some reason. That's the level of, I guess, you know, kind of uh, nuance they have, (laughs) which is not a very deep level. By the way, I wanted to mention this earlier. The city of Montreal is standing in for New York City in this movie. Lovely. Yes, that is why, as you can see, all the signage warning people of the Punisher is in both French and English. mm But he's like, Hey, what do you want to do? Are you looking for the punishes? Like it's just it's like, I'm sorry you're supposed to be the the cop. You're not all uh, you know, like getting cartoon good feathers or whatever.
0: This is a great introduction to Budiansky and who he is, because this is where we where we learn that uh, he doesn't have a lot of respect for these cops. He, he thinks of them as a bunch of, uh, if I may, Krispy Kreme motherfuckers. And there's a great line read here because it's it's the NYPD and the FBI, you know, and Budiansky pointing fingers like, you got this guy killed. No, you did. And the NYPD guy at some point says like, but All
1: my men trying to find out what your late colleague came across when he went under. Maybe if you feds allowed us lowly cops in on your undercover operations once in a while, all of this could have been avoided.
0: With all due respect, Captain, that is bullshit. With all due respect, Captain, that is bullshit. Like, people like stop typing, like the room stops, it is the most unnecessary thing, I enjoyed the hell out of it.
1: Plus, Colin Salmon's got a fucking awesome voice. Like, he definitely sounds like he's uh, reading a movie trailer script every time he talks. But, David, also, you know, I watched the director's cut of this, and when he's like, Crispy cream, motherfuckers. And the director's cut, the police captain gets him in his face. He's like, That's a southern brand, primarily. <laughs> we here in New York City, we do a little Dunkin', but we mostly go to local guys. I mean, I get why they cut it out. It was kind of, you know, people get it.
0: Well, it's in Montreal. They're running around covering up Tim Horton signage.
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Budiansky goes down to the basement where Soap is like, hey, I'm here. I'm the Punisher task force. Ha ha ha, ha, ha. And he's like, uh, here, let me give you a slideshow I have at the ready about uh, the Punisher's history. And he shows Frank Castle's photo, I guess, from when he was in the Marines. And this photo is hilarious, David, because the photo is like him looking down with like shadows over his face. Like if you're a photographer and you took it and you're like looking at your camera afterwards, you'd be like, oh, we got to take it again. This one's turned out too ominous. Like, oh, do you have a the dark future headcastle or just take a silly one it just it was hilarious that that was his like file photo
0: it was needlessly artistic it was like something zoolander would have shot for a campaign it was ridiculous but mac this you know the punisher task force it's in this basement of of, you know it's in the basement of the precinct we learn that like every file in this room is a punisher murder case mac how are we supposed to feel about this room are we supposed to get derived joy from this room full of murder files
1: Well, this is something from the Garth Innes comics, and he both revitalized the Punisher and also kind of did a disservice in a way where he wrote a lot of issues were like very funny, like kind of a very funny take on Punisher. And the disservice he did, David, was not realizing that people adapting the comics would not be able to figure out their own tone. Because there's a lot of like weird, especially in that Thomas Jane movie, like funny stuff that they try to cram in from the Punisher comics, the Garth Ennis ones, where it's just like, look, that tone works because Garth Ennis is very awesome at writing very dark-humored stuff, and uh, you are not, screenwriter. However, so the soap character is supposed to represent the fact that the police don't give a shit about the Punisher. They like him. And the problem with that, though, is that this movie has Punisher kill an FBI agent. So... As it's in the back of the box, it's like, oh, fuck, now the Punisher is dealing with organized crime, and he's dealing with the police, but he's not, David, because the police don't give a shit. He's just dealing with his own guilty conscience, and it just gives the Punisher a free pass on this for whatever reason. I mean, yeah, he's kind of like, oh, I don't know if I should be Punisher anymore, but I don't buy that for a fucking second. It just kind of drags the movie down.
0: I'm going to put a pin in this conversation. We'll get back to it later, but it certainly feels like they could have significantly reduced the size of this room by just putting forth some effort over the years.
1: Yeah, because his room, Detective Soap, was like, why don't you look at some files begin to familiarize yourself with them? And Budiancy's like, all right, where are the files? And Soap looks around this Rares of the Lost Ark style giant room <laughs> and he's like, all of them are Punisher files. Punisher's killed this many people and we've been collecting files on it and we're never going to solve it because the police don't give a shit. It was weird.
0: Yeah, you know, again, this movie's trying to figure itself out. It's a 90s script being, you know, it feels like a 90s script being shot in the 2000s. So I'm just along for the ride.
1: Punisher meets up with his quartermaster, Micro, played by honestly kind of a subdued Wayne Knight. And something about these scenes, there's a lot of weird framing in this movie where Punisher is like crammed to one side of the frame for no apparent reason.
0: Mac, I'm glad you brought that up. It's something I bring up later in the, uh, in the movie, or at least it was more apparent later in the movie. I was watching this with the bombshell and she had a very good observation or she had a very good thought about it. It feels like the movie is making room for dialogue bubbles. It feels like the movie, oh,
1: wow. right? That's funny. Yeah, That's like funny.
0: It, it it's so some of the shots are so egregiously off center that it really feels like they're trying to capture some sort of comic book feel and if I think about it that way it's very impressive but I don't, it's very annoying.
1: Like they're going to put in some Scott Pilgrim style like, you know, the little like boxes with like meanwhile on them and that kind of thing. For yeah. sure,
0: yeah. But Mac, you know, going back to to Microchip, which is Okay. Yeah. That's going to be my question. Is Microchip in the comics or was this, was Microchip an invention for this movie?
1: Yes. Microchip was in the comics and uh, it's very clear because his name is Microchip back when they thought that was like a fun name for like a dude who can like do technology stuff. But yeah, I mean, back when he was introduced, I guess it was a little bit of a surprising thing because you have someone who looks like, at least in the comics, is drawn what people think of when they try to picture an IT guy. Mm-hmm. But when he appears in this movie, there's no real effort put into his character introduction i mean i'm not to, here's a punch-up already but i thought it would have been cool to like you know whatever micro's day job is like let's say he works at a uh, computer repair place or something like that to have him like a nice friendly interaction with a customer and then like you know uh he turns around and he's like cleaning a giant collection of guns yeah. because now the fact that like you know wayne knight is playing a dude that wants to give guns to the punisher it doesn't feel like a stretch it just feels like oh cool the Punisher met another psycho or whatever. For sure. I like it. I like the fact that the Punisher has someone else on his side. I think Wayne Knight does a good job with the role. I don't think the role does a great job in the movie.
0: I agree. I don't think I don't think the movie knows Microchips' role, so it just kind of does its best.
1: But David Billy's facial reconstruction surgery did not, shall we say, go well. And now he looks like a Frankenstein. Well, new look, new attitude. Billy gives himself the new name Jigsaw, the first piece of Jigsaw's puzzle of revenge, breaking Jigsaw's brother James, a.k.a. Looney Bin Jim, out of the Looney Bin. And, of course, Looney Bin Jim, played by real-life creep Doug Hutchinson. Hey!
0: So this is going to, you know, we go from uh, Billy the Butte, this is now Jigsaw.
1: What do you think of Jigsaw? Well, David, this whole scene was really confusing, because it basically feels exactly like the scene in Batman where joker is having his face reconstructed except there's like some weird dialogue yeah got the best surgeon in town also my insurance wouldn't cover this and i was like wait is he the is he the best plastic surgeon because it would have made so much sense if it just was like he's a mob surgeon right? right yes he's the best he's the guy who's like a veterinarian during the day but then the plastic surgeon's like okay well just so you know um i did the best i could you know Honestly, you're lucky to have survived. Uh, basically, none of your face remained, and I had to add in a little bit of horse eyed You're <laughs> just so casual about this. I mean, it was over the top. It was ridiculous. My mistake was to take any scene with Jigsaw seriously, because from this point on, Jigsaw is there for chuckles. This movie
0: cracks me up so much because, on the one hand, you have the Punisher, who you know, aside from like his kills and his kill shots, is steeped in like gritty reality, and then you have Jigsaw and Looney Bin Jim. It's like, there were times when I felt like I was in a sports bar after all the games were done and you're just watching whatever movies are playing. And like one TV's playing Dick Tracy and the other one's playing like A Walk Among the Tombstones. And I'm just kind of crossing streams on this one. (laughs) Yeah. So Mac Jigsaw, you know, he has a very striking look to him, but it's not an original look, I don't think. I I was watching a movie the other day. Don't, please don't ask me why, but it was called Carnage, The Legend of Quilt Face. It was this sort of like, Shot on digital, you know, low budget indie movie. Mac, I've I've shared with you a picture of Quilt Face. Oh, wow.
1: Look at Quilt Face. This
0: is a man who has essentially a quilted face. He has his uh, face stitched together of the skin and faces of other faces. And uh, this movie was made in 2000. Wow. What? (laughs) (laughs) I think they've got a lawsuit on their hands, maybe. (laughs) I
1: was going to say that this, the image you've shown me looks like a movie that was made uh, like the or something that Angela Lansbury had to crack a case. Even though I think Quilt Face, probably a little too hardcore for Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say, David, it does not look good.
0: No, I don't think it was supposed to.
1: So David, after the operation, Billy tells his sleazebag crew, he's like, I need a moment alone with my doctor. And then when they come back, Billy's now at peace. He's definitely murdered his doctor. And he goes, all right, no more distractions. Also, call me Jigsaw now. My name is now Jigsaw. David, Jigsaw accepted so fast that he's a Frankenstein, right? Mm -hmm. Jigsaw's a name where someone else calls you that to mock you but he like came up with it himself i gotta say billy's a little bit creative he is and he's all you know i
0: understand the feeling about uh, getting out in front of the insults where it's like yeah no i'm saying i'm jigsaw what are you gonna do about it but uh for a guy who had his face torn up and uh, surgery go horribly wrong he is embracing this rather well
1: yeah and the fact that he embraced it so well so fast makes me think we could have skipped this whole thing you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. The movie the movie could have started out with him being like, hey, it's Jigsaw. I'm Jigsaw now. <laughs> and then they've been like, oh, he's the guy that's, he's the only guy to ever survive the Punisher. And then we get it just like in a flashback real quick. Yep. It wasn't like, uh, I still have not seen the movie Joker, David, because no one has paid me to see it yet. But that movie, I, I what I glean from it is, uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's some dude, and at the end of the movie, he's Joker. I think they could have just followed this thing's lead, where like 20 minutes in, he's like, I'm Joker now. (laughs) Call me the Joker.
0: (laughs) You're not wrong. So from here, you know, Billy is now Jigsaw, and he's like, first order of business, I gotta break out my brother James. And so uh, we go to the asylum where Doug Hutchinson is waiting. Look, Mac, I don't particularly like Doug Hutchinson anyway. Nope. I think just knowing him, but also he's got that look to him, like just... He leans into it well. Like, I think that's, you know, everyone will gravitate toward his performance in The Green Mile because it didn't really feel like he was performing all that much. Like, he just was a real piece of shit.
1: Perfect casting. He just is like a dude you just find at the bottom of your shoe.
0: In a sense, he is perfect in this role as well because he is an annoying second banana to, to Jigsaw. You know, we're introduced where Looney Bin Jim is kind of strapped down. He's catatonic. This orderly comes in just like this, you know, Grotesquely obese man. It was like a Sam Keith drawing. And he's like feed,
1: feeding <laughs> Damn him. David, David. You don't eat those kind of jokes up with a spoon.
0: Well, and so he's trying to feed uh, applesauce to Looney Ben Jim with a spoon. You know, he's teasing him or whatever. So when Looney Ben Jim gets free, he's like, Leave that so to me. That so's all mine. And then he even says, Because he wants his applesauce back. You know, the orderly took his applesauce and he ate it. And he's like, uh, I'm, I'm basically going to rip out his uh, his you know liver and kidneys and eat those. And then he follows that up with, uh, yummy, yummy, yummy in my tummy, tummy, tummy. And I was like, this is gross. Uh, that, actually, in my notes, I wrote at this moment, because he starts eating the orderly alive. And I was like, this is not a serious movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's my fault for thinking that.
1: Yeah, yummy, yummy, yummy my tummy, tummy, tummy. It, no one ever wants to hear that fucking ever. <laughs> also, the orderly, but he's like, oh, I'm sorry, did I eat your ice cream, Looney Bin Jim? You're in the Looney Bin. Yeah. Everyone, do you call everyone in that? Like, I gotta go, you know, change my other patient, uh, Looney Bin Sarah, and then I gotta go help, you know, Looney Bin Terrence, uh, you know, do his, uh, you know, OT. But yeah, this movie's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Every moment Looney Bin Jim is on screen, I fucking hate it. Here's the thing about LBJ, David. He's like, you know, tied to this bed. Right? I don't think he's getting a lot of exercise. But of course, this dude, once he gets out of the loony bin, is a human dynamo. It even kind of gives the punisher a run for his money later on. So I guess he was doing some, you know, isometric exercises at some point. Maybe just really just like, I'm gonna just move this finger and get this finger super ripped.
0: So Frank shows up at the Donatelli house with a big bag of apology cash for Angie Donatelli, but she is not happy to see him. What? Uh, you believe it, yeah. Meanwhile, Jigsaw and Looney Bin Jim meet with Bulat, played by David Vadim. To discuss the illegal shipment coming into the port. By the way, I do apologize if it's offensive how I'm pronouncing these names. I'm only going to do it once, but that's that's my gift to me.
1: David, who do we blame for the fact that everything in this movie is fucking saturated? Like all the color in this movie. Are we still mad at Tony Scott about this? Uh,
0: yes, yes we are. Like I, I always appreciate it when people just try to make a, a a shot look interesting. You know, you don't want bland. You want the walls to look interesting. You want the background. You want the the mise en scène, if you will. But man, just throwing a filter over a light and just saying this room's red now. we they're talking to Russians, like, golly guys. Yeah.
1: But everything is saturated, David, except when it's not, because the scenes where the Punisher is talking to the Donatelli widow, those seem to be just like in kind of, you know, normal lighting. There's no like blue filter or green and like yellow, like sickly filter or whatever. Which so it's like I don't I don't know. Is that supposed to be the real world? Is the rest of fantasy? I don't get it. Who does? So, you know, Frank shows up
0: at the Donatelli house and immediately there's the daughter, Grace. She's sitting outside. I I watched this movie twice, as you know, as I tend to do. Both times this this daughter creeped me out and I really don't know why and I think that's what creeped me out. I don't know what she's doing outside. At one point she says to Frank, she's like, you're in my light, but she's not doing anything photography related or video related. She's like setting leaves on a table. I, I don't get this Mac Blake.
1: Well, David, as we are adults, we see the Punisher and we see a monster. But through the eyes of children, they see Frank for what he truly is, a good-hearted. No, wait, he's a monster. He killed your dad. Which, I mean, that's the craziest thing is that Angie actually wants to hold the Punisher accountable. What? Everyone else is like, well, accidents happen. Sorry about your dad, dad, dad." But uh, yeah, she strangely is like, I don't want your fucking money. And then she says this, David. No, you don't get to do that. You don't get to shoot my husband in cold blood and then stop at the ATM. It's for your daughter. This is what you deserve. What you did to Nick. (sighs) Who punishes you? Whoa, look at Alan Moore. Who does watch The Watchmen? You know what I mean? (laughs) That's the question of this movie, right? Or at least it, it would have been of a better film. But yes, who does punish the Punisher? Spoiler alert, nobody.
0: <laughs> so we go from there, you know, we go from the Donatelli house to the meeting with the Russians. This is going to be Jigsaw and Looney Bin Jim, and they get there, and Jigsaw's a little crestfallen because he catches himself in a mirror, and he's still not quite 100% comfortable with seeing himself as Jigsaw in the mirror. So Looney Bin Jim, in an effort to cheer him up, is like, as long as I'm alive, You never have to see yourself in a mirror again. And and what does he proceed to do, Mac Blake?
1: Well, he jumps into the mirrors and smashes them all. Like he just smashes every mirror, David. And I got to say, I don't remember scenes that I've enjoyed less.
0: Well, it, It reminded me a lot of, you know, it's 1989. It's opening weekend of Batman. I'm sitting there enjoying this Tim Burton masterpiece. And then all of a sudden, Jack Nicholson plops a boombox down and starts playing Party Man. I was like, oh, like it was, it was that kind of a feeling, I, like a childhood memory of just what the
1: fuck are you doing in this movie? God, imagine if it was like any other actor who we actually knew and respected and they were going nuts. Great. But, uh, Doug, Doug Hutchinson. Yeah. You got a, whoa, what a bravura performance from this fucking loser.
0: You know what I mean? Who gives a shit? In my head. He's such a piece of shit that it almost feels improvised. Like there's a guy on set going, I got to replace these fucking mirrors now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, imagine if they somehow tricked Gary Sinise into this role when he's like, you'll never have to look, and then he just, like, starts smashing mirrors. I'd be like, hell yes, Sinise! Hell yeah. Yeah, but no. So, David, they meet up with the Russians, and they're, these guys are tough, right? The Jigsaw Gang, they're also tough. So you got some tough guys doing some tough guy dialogue, and then at some point, one of the Russians, like, spits, like, Pew. he's like, hey, uh, you know, whatever, says something in Russian. And then Looney Ben Jim stabs him through the throat, mm-hmm. the Russian underling and then they all like pull guns on each other and they're like hey easy let's calm down let's we're here to make business or what have you at what point do you instead of just pulling out a gun do you actually start shooting i think when they kill your friend i think that's that's not like oh he killed my friend all right time for a standoff no no no, open fire
0: my understanding of organized crime in the in the very smallest understanding is that they don't like losing face in front of other people so like if you were to Stab somebody through the throat with a wine glass or with the the stem of a wine glass. I feel like there would have been some retaliation, and the fact that there wasn't, it does not feel consistent with this movie.
1: Yeah, he's like, "How did meeting go with Jigsaw? What? He killed our member, and then you did nothing. Excellent." Like, I don't, I don't know what voice that fucking was. I was, I can't do a Russian mobster. I guess.
0: Well, I think what Triumph was trying to say was that you don't, <laughs> you don't step to this guy.
1: That's right. I'm a Borscht Belt comedian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but Mac, you know, speaking of the wine stem. This is some of the most ridiculous CGI I've seen. And I'm not like being, you know, you know, I try not to be hyperbolic or I try not to be too critical about CGI, but this felt like if, you know, the wine stem goes through some Russian guy's neck, if the Russian guy had moved, the wine stem would have stayed in place. Like it feels like that quality of CGI. It's not very good. So Frank goes to tell Microchip he's out of the game, but Micro says, ah, 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 when he reminds Frank that Jigsaw is still alive. And so is Angie Donatelli and her daughter. That's a dangerous combination, David. We also meet Micro's intern, Carlos, played by Carlos Gonzalez-Vio, using the Tony Danza route of naming characters after yourself, a former gangbanger who now buys weapons from other gangbangers to keep the weapons off the street. Carlos offers to help Frank find Rosati by finding McGinty and his urban free-flow gang.
1: So Frank is not happy to meet this Carlos dude, because this meeting takes place at Micro's house. And, you know, Frank he's not gonna shoot him at first but he's like what's up with this dude he does pull a gun on him and mike goes hey come down this is carlos he works for me he's a former gangbanger etc and then frank castle says i never met a banger who could quit before meaning like you take him out of the gang but you never take the gang out of him but guess what punisher you're talking way too much man you know what i mean like i know punisher likes to journal because he wrote a war journal at some point but this punisher is really yappy like how about more of that dark brooding type
0: yeah, I could go for strong silence. I don't need him lecturing Carlos as much as I don't particularly like Carlos. Like, do what you do best and that's killing innocence.
1: Micro here is this is at his house and his mom is in poor health. As he tells Frank, she has good days and bad days, but you know she likes watching her cooking shows and and like a a dutiful son, Micro is feeding his mom some food. It's time for dinner. But David, what do you think about Wayne Knight in this role?
0: It feels off. I mean, I really don't know a ton about Microchip, but it it, it, it feels like it really should be someone else. Like, you know, honestly, I, 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 I'm I so in love with Domhnall Gleason, what he did in Dread. I kind of want like that
1: feel. I thought Wayne Knight in a dramatic role did a pretty decent job. And again, it just sucks that this role was not better. It would be, you know, it'd be interesting to see him get some of those darker roles that like Stephen Root gets. Maybe I'm putting um, too much stock in Wayne Knight. But, uh, I you know, I, I thought he was interesting when he was on screen. I just don't think he had a lot to work with.
0: One last thing on this chunk. So, you know, this is our introduction to Carlos, like I've said a few times already. Lexi Alexander just decided, hey, you know what, everybody, we can't pay you a lot. So just do your favorite accent. And so Carlos has a line read here, and, and we'll go ahead and play it.
1: That's McGinty and his urban free flow gang. He's a mean motherfucker. He's on a constant meth high.
0: Mac, this is some, like, Antonio Banderas level. Uh, line reading this is really something else
1: yeah i did not expect that voice to come out of carlos it was uh, surprising which maybe that's what the movie was going for i don't know
0: then frank gets a tip that the red hot chili Parkours are planning to rob a convenience store frank shakes the gang down for information on where to find jigsaw turns out he's over at the donatelli house looking for his money soap and Budiansky arrive and Budiansky arrests frank which actually works out great because they end up giving frank a ride to the donatelli house anyway Frank escapes police custody with the help of Soap and rescues Angie and her daughter while also laying waste to remaining sleazebag nobody's Pitsy and his son, Inc.
1: David, we see these parkour dudes doing parkour, and they seem to really love it, and uh, it's really annoying. And then the Punisher, he might as well just turn right to the camera and go, "Mm mm-hmm, because he fucking launches a missile at one of these parkour dudes and blows him out of the fucking sky. And it was awesome, and it was a markout moment for me. It was great. I marked out.
0: This might possibly be the greatest markout moment ever, because it really is like, you know, you remember the movie was made in 2008, so parkour was kind of the rage back then. So watching this now, it feels like, oh boy, here comes this movie trying to cram this in. And then the guy gets shot out of the air. My goodness, this was truly, truly one of the greatest markout
1: moments. Yeah, like imagine if Raiders of the Lost Ark came out today. And there's a scene where Indiana Jones uh, meets the dude in the bazaar, right? And instead of the guy uh, spinning a sword, uh, doing a bunch of sword tricks, Indiana Jones shooting him, imagine that dude uh, was giving him uh, TikTok tips. And then, like, Indiana Jones just shot him. The fact that the Punisher was like, I don't want to fuck with this even one goddamn second. It was great. But one of the parkour dudes, I think the main one is like alive a little bit. And turns out he knows a lot. Like, he's basically like, Oh, uh, the, uh, Billy's doing this and that, 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 and this and the other thing. And as he's telling at Frank Castle, the Punisher is like, you know, putting his guns away. And then we cut away. And I was like, oh, I guess Punisher didn't kill this dude. Oh, tut, 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 Mac. Because then we see the body land on a fence with spikes on top. And he the body gets spiked on the fence. And then the Punisher, this is not enough for the Punisher, right? Because he's not, he's not called the murderer, David. He's not called the killer. He's called the Punisher. It's not enough for him to murder people. He has to punish them. And so he jumps off of wherever he is. And as he lands, I don't know if it's like boot first or knee first, but he like lands on this dude's neck on the way down and breaks it. And again, he's already dead, but he had to break his neck. This is not my cup of tea, but you know, I got to say, Punisher, you're doing a pretty good job if this is your thing.
0: He's doing a pretty good job. He's, He's amazing at doling out punishment, but this is kind of where I was in the movie. When that body falls onto the fence... I didn't know that was a member of the free flow gang. I was just like, oh, I guess it's raining bodies today. So like the movie doesn't quite have that sort of cohesiveness that you need to make it a motion picture, but uh, it's still very fun.
1: Yeah, it is very fun. So Budiansky tries to arrest the Punisher and the Punisher's like, look, I got respect for cops, but you need to fucking let me go. And so then Frank starts uh, fighting Budiansky, but he starts like throwing his head through car windows. I was like, well, hey, Frankie's a cop, right? Like <laughs> I know he's trying to arrest you. And you're like, I cannot physically allow that to happen. But you also don't need to murder him. But then Budiansky, we hear the close of a handcuff. Uh Uh-oh. Budiansky managed to handcuff himself to the Punisher. And the Punisher is not about to saw off his arm, which I got a a little surprised. (laughs) He didn't want to do it. Budiansky managed to arrest the Punisher. But then, as you said in the description, like, yeah, we're going to go check on the uh, Donatellis. So great, because I think Punisher's plan was just to run there. (laughs) They're all going to the same place where, where Punisher wants to go. And Budiansky's like, I'm going to go inside and check it out uh, because a couple cops already went and got murdered by the uh, sleazebags. Budiansky goes in and check it out. And he's like, Soap, you stay here with Punisher. As soon as Budiansky leaves, Soap is like, All right, I'll let you out, Frank. So now it's clear that not only are the cops not taking the Punisher seriously by only sticking one man on the task force, the one man task force is actively working with the Punisher, which I liked. I don't know why, but I liked the fact that he was like, Yeah, we're friends. I think overall the cops should not be portrayed as pro punisher because it just kills any tension. Like the fact that like you know or the fact that maybe the FBI is anti punisher but there's only one of the FBI agents, I don't know. But I do like that the punisher has a dude on the force who is actively working with him. It feels weird that it is this uh, cop who is mostly useless, but what are you going to do?
0: There's a dance you
1: have to do with it
0: tonally because like you said on the one hand, or rather I want to recognize what this movie wants to be and it wants to be you know, a movie from the eighties or nineties where we kind of have a, a looser relationship with the police where you can kind of have these, you know, brain dead cops and just sort of shake your head at them, be like, oh cops. But like in, in this in this instance, and this is kind of, you know, I, I, I told us to put a pin in, in this conversation earlier. And so this is us coming back to it, where they had him arrested. And then all all Frank has to do is like soap, let me go. And like soap Hams and Halls, but finally lets him go. How many of those files ended, you know, alternate ending with like Frank in the back of a cop car and Frank saying "Let me go," and then it's like, "All right, but next time, Frank." Like that's the kind of thing, you know. It, it it's hard for the for the audience to balance, you know. You want a relate, you know. You kind of want the cops in this movie to be buddy buddy with the punisher. Like I I also like that they're helping the punisher, but then you also need to establish that the FBI is the enemy here, and that's it's a tough balance.
1: If you're going to have Frank kill a cop or a fed, there needs to be some repercussions there. Then the pressure needs to be placed on Frank, but the pressure is just coming from one agent Budiansky. It feels like yeah, you you're kind of you're definitely pulling your punch movie. But speaking of punches not being pulled, Budiansky enters and very quickly the sleaze bags get the better of him. But then the Punisher enters and he uh, grabs uh, Inky. What's his name, Ink? Yes. And he punches him in the face, David. Now we we know Ink, he loves cocaine, right? Every chance he gets, he's just, you know, snort, snort, snort. When the Punisher punches Inky in the face, he punches his face in. He basically like punches his skull like through his face, not all the way out the hand, but I remember seeing that moment in theaters and being like, ah, what are we doing here? Was he able to punch? Into this dude's face because Punisher was just that mad, or is it? Does cocaine abuse does it does it weaken your your frontal skull, David?
0: Yeah, he's got like a, a paper mache septum from all those years of coke abuse.
1: Okay, well then that makes sense. That tracks.
0: But I mean, you know, what kind of what movie is this? Like, you know, because this is where the worlds collide. This is where you get the cartoonishness of Jigsaw meeting with the gritty realism of the Punisher, and the cartoonishness wins. But by mingling with the gritty realism, it's it's fucking bananas, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, this movie is wild. Moments like that, it's like, like I don't know what we're fucking doing here, but it's, it's interesting on some level, which is a weird way to be like, oh, he shot it, he punched his face in? Interesting. But then the good guys are back in control, and Budiansky says to Pitsy, he's like, all right, put your hands behind your back. And then as soon as he said that, Punisher blows that dude's face <laughs> off. <laughs> and I fucking marked out again. That was so funny to me because the booty is he's like, Hey, what the hell? <laughs> just like, Then idea have like, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> and then Punisher just wastes them. It was so dumb. It was so good.
0: The comedic timing on that, on that shot was spectacular. Like, it, it, yeah, I, I cannot do it justice. It was fantastic. I didn't quite mark out. Uh, you know, it was, there was something a little expected about it. I don't know. I'm a, I was a little underwhelmed by it, but, but from a humor standpoint,
1: fantastic maybe it's the fact that he took a drawing of a man's face and just using an eraser erased it like that was (laughs) you know they just completely blew his face off but then soap comes in at some point and soap suddenly is wearing like a bucket hat for no reason and i just i was like what he wasn't wearing this earlier why why are we in this hat i i know it's a small thing to pick up on but uh what's with the hat soap
0: it's it's a shorthand to his ineptitude because so we button up this whole sequence with Budiansky like you know questioning Soap is like oh really so Frank just got loose you don't know how he escaped and Soap's response is that castle is a slippery one like with the the shaggy crack in his voice and everything and man you're you're right about that hat it's a fucking Gilligan hat like he really just like grips the sides of it hoping he doesn't get hit by a coconut or something like he's just that much of a schlub but it it works great like you know it's a good shorthand to who this character is.
1: Yeah, if you want a character to look like a stupid idiot, put a wet bucket hat on him. Which again, going back to the Raid 2, this, our second episode, the dude who was like the mastermind behind this whole police operation was wearing this hat and it did not fit his character. Maybe that hat is viewed differently in Indonesia. I don't, I don't know. So Frank hides Angie and Grace in the Punishment Cave, aka Frank's creepy underground castle. Meanwhile, Jigsaw and LBJ are arrested. They're getting locked up for a long time. Unless... They have info on anything terrorism adjacent, in which case they are let off scot-free. They do, and they are. So, David, the, Frank takes it upon himself to move, uh, who? What's her name again? Uh,
0: Angie Donatelli and her daughter Grace.
1: To move them into his own punishment cave. Do the cops know this? Were they okay with that?
0: I have to imagine so. Like, you know, if we've already established that the cops are just letting the punishers sort of run free here, I guess he brokered a deal with them. Just like, yeah, they'll shack up with me.
1: Because Budiansky at some point is like, oh, you these guys uh, harass the family of, of my former partner or agent or whatever. And I was like, okay, where's the family now? It's like, oh, the Punisher has them. Like that, we're overlooking that or whatever. Yeah,
0: but you know, so Angie and Grace come to the, the punishment cave where Frank has all of his, uh, his, his stuff laying out, his family's stuff laying out. And to the point where Grace just decides to make herself at home and just go straight for a chest open it up and start digging through for toys and like grace you got some nerve first of all like you've been through a traumatic thing i get it but like it's not playtime right now
1: especially not in uh, creepy uncle punisher's uh footlocker stay out of there
0: yeah and especially like you open that thing up and you find this you know what's it called it's like a snow globe music box and and frank looks at it he's like that was my daughter's favorite toy her favorite toy like no wonder she's dead
1: yeah, Frank sounded like well, I, I just took it more that he's like kind of an absentee father. It's like, hey, what's your son's favorite game? Oh, he loves Nintendo. It's like that's not an answer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's always playing. Um, he's always playing with his friend. Uh, I don't remember his name. Uh, you gotta got a head on sometimes. It's like, it's just I don't think Frank was paying attention. But dude, Frank is a gracious host, and so he serves them some MREs. What? I get it that he's like a military dude, but at the same time. I feel like it'd be a lot easier to buy some actual food than just, to go to an army Navy surplus store and be like, Hey, do you have any leftover MREs? You know, which of course stands for our meals ready to eat, but yeah, just like make some ramen for them. Or also you're the punisher. You got to get some protein in you. not just these weird dehydrated, like, uh, astronaut meals or something.
0: Yeah. It's also like, I mean, you can't order a pizza. You absolutely can, you know, it's it's a shorthand for, oh man, this guy lives a hardcore life when it's like, just go buy a sandwich. There's nothing, you don't need to restrict yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact that he views what he's doing as his war and the fact that he's like a fanatic, maybe that MRE would kind of like play into that, but they, the movie's not really casting publisher in that light.
0: This moment specifically, you know, dealing with the MREs, it doesn't know how it wants it, you know, whether it wants to humanize Frank or to make him, yeah, exactly, this focused badass who's, you know, he sees this as a job. So, Grace, the daughter, is trying to eat the MREs and she's not having it. She's, you know, she's not enjoying it. So, Frank comes over he's like,
1: What is it? Egg and cheese MREs. It's all I have. What's an MRE? Meal, ready to eat. Military food. It's great for people who can't cook. Look, Grace, this one came with chuckles. It's the um, best one to get.
0: And it, it's such a weird moment. Like, this is the moment where I wanted. Somebody other than Ray Stevenson, because it feels like Ray Stevenson wants to act in this movie, like wants to emote, wants to express feelings. But he's stuck behind this character who is hamstrung because he is mourning the loss of his family that he can never have that. And this was this line in particular, the chuckles line is like, I really felt it. Plus, Ray Stevenson,
1: what do you think about his Punisher voice, David?
0: It's weird because, you know, again, like everyone's going with wacky accents and he's trying to go with a reserved accent, but he has an accent. So it comes off like he's doing an accent. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, he was I think he was from Northern Ireland Mm -hmm. originally. And so his Punisher voice is very much like I am doing an American voice now. But it just something about it just does not sound natural. I like Ray Stevenson in his role, but uh, I don't know. If I was his voice coach watching this film, I'd be like, oh, they're never, never going to hire me again. <laughs> but David, the feds come and they arrest Jigsaw and LBJ, and it looks like they're going to jail for a long time. But uh-oh, they got some information on a certain biological package. Yeah,
0: this the movie came really close to losing me at this point, if not it lost me completely, because like, come the fuck on, man. like you're going to let these guys go because they have information on a deal that they brokered. Like, okay, movie, I'm still letting you take me, but I, I I'm starting to question the stops.
1: Also, oh, every time we see Looney Ben Jim, he's working on one of those little like grip strengtheners. You know what I'm talking about? Those little like exercise things you just squeeze. Yeah.
0: Those little like eighties fitness toys. I'm with you. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I guess like, I mean, later in the movie, uh, he fights the Punisher, but he does. It's not like the Punisher's like your strength is so, but he's just can't, I guess we're just supposed to be thinking that he's just a real, he just wants those strong hands to really just, you know, lift that weight, I guess.
0: I was waiting for him to go over the top in the third act, and he never did. And he did not, no. But then back at the recycling plant, the deal is going down. This information was certainly worth immunity, plus $12 million. Christa is arrested, and Agent Miller gives Jigsaw one last piece of information. The whereabouts of microchip.
1: David, we're only seven years out from 9-11, and apparently any information on any terrorism, that is uh, worth more than the gold itself, because... The deal that Jigsaw and LBJ got out of this thing is is pretty good.
0: I mean, you could have just given them freedom. You could have just let them, but like to let them keep, they negotiated up to 12 million and got to keep that. This is fucked up.
1: Carlos arrives at the Punishment Cave to provide protection for Angie and Grace while Frank goes to talk with Microchip. But Frank arrives too late because we learn that Micro has been abducted by Jigsaw and LBJ who are devising plans to form an army to go against Frank. The bad guys also abduct Angie and Grace with little resistance from Carlos. Carlos, what good are you? He wasn't good. He was on that meth high. Yeah. However, David, when Frank arrives at Micro's house, we see Micro's mom or what is left of her. Her head kind of looks like the Mac Tonight head. You know what I'm talking about? With the weird (laughs) moon. Because there's only like a sliver of her head left. And this David was my first JFC, my Jesus fucking Christ. Because when they panned over to Micro's mom, I expected to see like, you know, a corpse. I did not expect to see that her head was a, a melon rind.
0: Yeah, I, I was not expecting to describe her head as crescent-shaped. Uh, so, yeah, I, I felt bad in this moment. Like, this movie really could have just told me that that happened. It, it's it's one of those weird choices that the movie makes. I, I'll I'll let you have it, but it wasn't for me. But, uh, god damn. Yep. Frank rushes back to the hideout only to find an invitation to the Bradstreet Hotel.
1: Which I assumed is named after influential Punisher comic book artist Tim Bradstreet. I don't know.
0: Oh, that's very cute. Let's hope so. But uh, Frank is going to be made and offer Frank's life for the life of Angie, Grace, and Micro. Frank meets with Budiansky at a neon church because Frank needs someone to help secure the trade. Time for everyone to gear up. Jigsaw and LBJ recruit every gang on the map. Frank loads up his guns and Budiansky seeks the help of Tiberiu, Christu's father.
1: So David, we get kind of an awkward church cut and all of a sudden we're at the fucking church. And Punisher, before he meets with Budiansky, is talking to the priest. And the priest's like, haven't seen you in a while, Frank. Are you still a Punisher? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, you almost became a priest once. And he's like, yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago. What? This is new. Uh, I mean, maybe it's in the comics. I don't know. Punisher was not uh, toying with the idea of joining the seminary. But I guess it makes sense. The idea of him being like a religious nut kind of works. But yeah, did this bother you at all? It
0: doesn't anymore, buddy. I think you cracked it. Like to put it in that context to, you know, that the Punisher is kind of a zealot in this way, that he does see himself on a righteous crusade. I mean, that unlocks a lot of stuff for me with the with the Punisher character. So I buy that 100%.
1: During the conversation, the Punisher says this. God be with you, Frank. Sometimes I'd like to get my hands on God. Sometimes I like to get my hands on God. God damn it, David. I love that line, getting your hands on God. I marked out again. <laughs> the Punisher got me. That to me is like a perfect Punisher line. Like, oh, this fucking God, who's he think he is? Like, the no one is above punishment.
0: Yeah, but that that's one of those lines, like, I wanted to like it. I could tell that it was a line that I was supposed to like, but I didn't. And it kind of felt like one of those things, like, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but we talked about it in a conversation, like, how some things play well on a comics page, but don't play well on a screen. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those lines. I feel like if if you're reading that in a comic book, hell yeah, that absolutely resonates. But like in a motion picture where the feeling of the movie relies on so many things leading up to this moment, like it it, it fell flat for me. But yeah, I feel like a lot of movies that way, you know, the Jigsaw and Looney Bin Jim, they're very comic book cartoonish characters, but you see them on the screen playing with the Punisher and it doesn't quite work.
1: So at some point, Jigsaw says, like, we got to get an army. And LBJ is like, where are you going to get an army? And so the next time we cut to him, they're like marching down the street, like arms swinging, very comical. And Jigsaw now is wearing like an all white suit because he's going for it. Right. I don't know what he's going for, but he's like, I'm like a James Bond villain that came out of a toilet, I guess. I don't know. Then there's cuts to them giving this speech like, hey, you know, the Punisher hurt everybody. He hurts us all the time and nobody does a darn thing about it. Why don't that blah, blah, blah. And behind them, they're standing in front of a video screen with an American flag. And I guess it's supposed to be this kind of like twisted take on a patriotic speech. And I got to say, this recruitment speech, I mean, at this point, because I'm now on board with the fact that Jigsaw's a cartoon villain, I think it's kind of fun. It, at this moment, the movie's like, hey, why don't we just have some fun or whatever? The soundtrack to this scene fucking sucks again, but what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I'm on board with this, with this scene because, like, it's very obvious the groups he's recruiting, like you know, he talks to the Asian group and the, you know, it's all Asians in one venue. And then he talks to the black gangs and they're all in one venue. And then he talks to the Irish gangs who are in like any, they're in like a bar with shamrocks on it. And it's like, you know, if the movie's going to lean into stuff like this, I'm going to, I'm going to go along with it. So yeah. And I, I had a little fun with this one, but yeah, you know, back to your point at the, at the top of the show, this is a very midnight movie. It's going to, it's going to be scenes like this, where you're just like, this is bonkers. This, you know, this feels so weird, but Again, you know, if you're along for the ride, it's it's fun.
1: So all these gangs, they all descend on this one hotel where the bad guys are keeping the hostages. And Budiansky's like, I think I can know an ally here. And so he goes to the uh, Tiberiu Bulat. And he's like, hey, is uh, is the head of the Bulat crime family here? And the head of the, the Bulat crime family goes, oh, who's asking? You know, I, I was just figured that you'd want to, you know, get revenge on the dude who had your son arrested. And he's like, oh, I am interested in that. And so now the Russians are on, the, are on Team Castle whether they, they know it or not. So let's go to the Brad Street Hotel where everybody's getting
0: set up and Frank is outside with Budiansky and Soap and they're just kind of casing the joint. But then Frank decides Budiansky's not coming with him, so he knocks out Budiansky while Christo's dad's gang takes out the Asian gang at the entrance. Then Frank uses that distraction to enter through the window and take out the gang's room by room.
1: It's an action set piece, we'll called Bloodbath at the Bradstreet Hotel. Sorry, I think it was earlier when Budiansky goes to meet up with the Russians. They're in a building that's labeled Russian Community Center. Great, great. This is the level of imagination <laughs> they're putting into this movie. So when the Russians arrive, you know, they're like, oh, hey, we're here for the Punisher party. And the, the gang who's working the lobby is like, oh, yeah, yeah, come in, come in. And when we cut back to Looney Ben Jim, he's still working that fucking hand strength thing. He just needs that grip strength. And then, of course, the Russians are like, uh-oh, JK, we're here to murder you guys. And then they start uh, shooting up some bad guys. And then do we ever see the Russians again? I don't think so.
0: I-, I, think the- I think they get mowed down with the Asians. I don't
1: know. Yeah, a little confusing there. I thought it would have been a lot cooler if there was a more direct team-up between Punisher and the Russians, especially because that would have been forcing the Punisher to like team up with bad guys and bend his rules a little bit, you know, do something, I don't know, interesting, but you know what, <laughs> whatever. We're not interested in that. We just want murder, murder, murder at this point. And then we have the raid itself, which I, I enjoyed this, this action set piece, like the, the raid of the hotel. I thought it was fun. There's one moment though, where the bad guys are kind of behind a corner. And so Frank looks down and he sees a paint can, David. Now, David, this paint can is empty it has no label on it, and it is glowing silver, right? Where do you even buy a unused, unlabeled paint can?
0: There's only one place, and it's Restoration Hardware. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but this paint can was like abandoned at a hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's just really weird. But then he drops a grenade into the paint can and kicks the can, and like, bonk, bonk, it bounces into the room. At the feet of one of the bad guys, and then the grenade rolls out. And as soon as the bad guy sees it, he's like, "Ah," like he's just crestfallen. He's like, "Fuck, I'm gonna die," and I don't know why. Very funny. Because again, at this moment, it's like, yeah, go for stupid. I want to see some stupid fucking kills, and that was one of them.
0: Yeah, you know, this whole raid is kind of the movie trying to end on on as high a note of it as possible. There's going to be a moment where Frank sort of corners uh, a gang into one room, and so he basically just shoves. The the business end of a rocket launcher through the door and pulls the trigger and blows up the entire room full of gang members. I marked out, like, because I knew they were, I knew this sequence was going to build towards, you know, it was just going to get crazier and crazier kills. And so this felt like the craziest kill in this whole sequence. I was on board for it. I marked out.
1: Let me ask you about that, David, because then he enters the room and there's some people that are not yet dead, but they're mortally wounded. And the Punisher shoots them. Now, do you think he's shooting them to put them out of their misery, or he just wants to confirm that, like, no, you are dead. I saw you die.
0: 100% confirming the kill. I don't think, I think Frank isn't the kind of person to wait to to see if someone's suffering to put them out of their misery. Like, I feel like if he heard someone's moans of suffering, it would only make him matter. So he's just trying to get out in front of that.
1: So, David, something that the movie The Raid 2 did well, that the Punisher Warzone in this raid scene is not doing as well, is kind of like, you know, building up the raid. Like, for example, and the raid 2, like Rama slash Yuta quickly like uh, makes all the cannon fodder bad guys. He knocks them out pretty quick. And then at that point, it's like, okay, here's mid-level boss. Here's higher level boss. Here's ultimate bad guy. And I feel like I was a couple beats into the scene where I'm like, I wish we could have done with these cannon fodder bad guys. I wish there were some mid-level bad guys to fight. And then Looney Bin Jim pops up. And I was like, oh, man, LBJ is the mid-level boss that sucks but anyway i'm getting ahead of it really catch us up with the description
0: sure of course so with jigsaw and his hostages posted up in the lobby fountain lbj runs off to take care of frank personally the fight lasts way longer than anyone would have expected and ends with lbj throwing some pocket glass on frank's face and retreating back to home base frank is then faced with an ultimatum where he has to kill one to let the other one go free microchip or grace frank shoots lbj jigsaw shoots micro Frank prevents Jigsaw from shooting Grace and Frank spit roasts Jigsaw over an open flame. That's a pretty good summation of everything.
1: Yeah. So this fight with Looney Bin Jim, uh, I don't even know if you call it an action set piece because I hate Looney Bin Jim. LBJ bites the Punisher's neck and I was like, oh, we just saw him like eat through a dude earlier in the movie. So the Punisher now is probably bleeding out of his throat. But then after the Punisher shakes LBJ loose, he looks at his neck and it's like barely, ra- it's like a rash at some, I was like, oh, okay. If you don't want to have the punisher get killed here don't have a dude bite his throat it was not a requirement to have lbj bite his throat just don't just
0: don't do it and also you've spent the past half hour working on this guy's forearm strength how about he bites into frank and then digs his thumbs into those bite holes like
1: let's use that arm strength at some point guys so the fact that lbj is apparently like a really good fighter is like oh that's that's great i mean he's really crazy have a scene where he beats the shit out of somebody. You know what I mean? Like the the fact that he can like hold his own against the Punisher is a a pretty big surprise. Not a welcome one either.
0: It's not a welcome surprise. And it's not that much of a surprise because the movie cheats a little bit. It doesn't go, you know, formidable versus formidable. It goes formidable versus like chicken shit. Like LBJ's fighting style, it's kind of this monkey fighting style. And it's just as annoying as Doug Hutchison is. It's just as annoying as LBJ is. He's even getting, like, smart-ass lines throughout the fight where, like, he kicks Punisher in the nuts, which, again, chicken shit move. But then he's like, oh, I guess you won't be replacing that son of yours anytime soon. It's like, hey, man, how, how do you even know about that? Like, go fuck yourself.
1: But then we get to the standoff, David. This is bad guy one on one, right? You got guns to two different sets of hostages, and now the hero has to choose. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's such a classic move that it's boring.
0: Well, you know what'll make it exciting is if the, the hero pulls off some kind of move where he saves the day and saves everybody. But I think this is the Marvel Knights brand coming in and it's like, "No, saving people is almost too heroic. That's not what we're trying to do here."
1: But Micro's like, "Kill me, Frank." And Frank's like, "You won't feel a thing, Micro." And you think for a second, "Oh shit, is the Punisher actually going to kill Micro?" But no, David, he shoots LBJ. And LBJ by the way is having is holding a gun like r- like touching the head of the little girl. And you're thinking like, oh, no, you can't shoot LBJ because if you do, maybe his muscles will contract and it'll shoot the girl. I guess not. No one gives a shit because <laughs> he successfully kills him. So Jigsaw then blows Micro's head off. Uh, Jigsaw then turns to shoot the Donatelli family. But the very slow lumbering Punisher is like, rub, 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 and he's there and he blocks the bullet by taking it in his vest. Uh, and then he frees the Donatelli family who looks like they were tied with velvet ropes. Like the kind that would you would like mark off like a line with at a movie theater or something.
0: Oh, yeah. Like bank stanchions to keep yeah, a line. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Which like those things have been there for 70 years. Those things have been like abandoned for at least 30 or 40. That's disgusting.
1: And then Jigsaw, I get, he fights the Punisher, but no one ever thinks that Jigsaw has a goddamn chance. Punisher stabs Jigsaw like through his torso, puts him on the flame. Because David, this fight was taking place, I guess, in what used to be the sauna of this hotel. Because there was kind of like a fire pit in the middle of it. That lobby sauna. Yeah, of course. And so as Jigsaw is burning, Frank looks down at him and he goes, this is just the beginning. And I was like, oh, shit, he's going to take him out of the fire and torture him some more. And then he, he burns to death. And I was like, oh, I, that seems like it was the beginning, middle, and end. But then I realized, David, when he says this is just the beginning, it's because, back ag- again, the Punisher is a religious nut, right? And so part of the punishment is he thinks he's sending this dude to hell. So when he says, this is just the beginning, he's like, you're going to burn more in hell later, which I was like, interesting. Okay.
0: See, I'm glad you brought that to the table. That actually
1: does make a lot more sense than my thought, which is Jigsaw is going to become Darkman. Dave, will you stop pitching your script, uh, Punisher meets Darkman? Nobody wants it, David. Nobody wants that. Uh, Time will tell.
0: (laughs) Time will vindicate me on that
1: one. People want my script, David, where it's called uh, uh, Darkman fights Darkwing Duck.
0: So Angie and Grace emerge from the hotel, followed by Frank. Angie thanks Frank and validates his existence, and Soap offers to buy Frank a drink. The movie ends with Soap being held up by a mugger, and Frank having to save the day after he just got done destroying an entire building of people.
1: His work is never done. It, it is never done. Now, David, if you were bothered by the fact that Maverick in the movie, Top Maverick, seemed to face no repercussions, that this movie was driving <laughs> fucking crazy, because it drove me crazy. You know what would have been more interesting than everyone being like, you know what, Punisher? You're fucking cool. Get out of here, bro. Arrest him. Okay, fucking arrest the Punisher. He killed your goddamn husband. Sure, he's a good guy and he saved you, but that ain't bringing your husband back. Fucking arrest this dude. I don't don't get it. This whole story
0: kicks off with Frank accidentally killing an FBI agent and, and, and feeling remorse about it. He wants out of the business. So you get the sense he does understand consequences. He does understand if you do A, then B. So yeah, it would have been nice for him to be like, okay, my job is done, take me away, and then have him escape You know, a minute later or whatever, but still have him accept the consequences of his actions, perhaps.
1: It would perfectly set up a sequel. You have Punisher then in jail, and all the criminals like, you Punisher, you, you're dead fucking mean, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, you don't get it. Which I, I think this is from Watchmen, maybe Rorschach said this, but he's like, I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me. Oh no! (laughs) But then uh, Soap and Punisher kind of walk in and like they're a couple buddies. But then Punisher Batman's out on Soap and he's not, he's gone. But then of course Soap meets a mugger. He's like, Frank, come kill this mugger. And then we see Punisher standing in front of a church and you see a neon sign says, Jesus saves. And as Punisher gets ready to kill this mugger, the word Jesus burns out and just says saves. I guess we're trying to, the message here is that there is no God and that the Punisher is the one who saves. Or there is a god, but this is a hell on earth, and the Punisher is your savior in this fucked up world. I don't know, David. I th- well, Last second Oscar grab? I don't know what they're going for with this kind of symbolism. But David, it is time to exit the war zone, because that is the end of the movie. All right, David, let's look at the body count. How many moms in this thing? How many markout moments did
0: you have? I had three total, including one of the greatest ones we'll ever see. How about you? Uh, it was the same.
1: Trace. David, is this someone's favorite movie? You think?
0: Not anyone I want to meet. I'll (laughs) bet it is, but it's probably someone who needs their hard drives checked. (laughs) What do you think?
1: (laughs) That's probably. I mean, there's definitely on a watch list, and it is a he. Uh, Yeah, I think if someone is a fan of the Punisher comic, I think this is maybe a pretty comic accurate version of the Punisher, or at least the more one of the most accurate versions. So I, I could see if somebody likes the Punisher and they like violence, yeah, maybe maybe this is their favorite movie. Maybe time for punch ups. David, as everyone knows, we're the ultimate script doctors. How would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up?
0: Okay. I don't know if this is going to be a punch up or a fix necessarily, but I do need to use my time to point out something that that stuck with me throughout the movie, because I was watching this movie with my girlfriend, The Bombshell, who happens to be a fan of a, of a really small cult movie called Repo the
1: Genetic Opera. Are you familiar with this at all, Mac? I know the title, but I've not seen it.
0: You know, the biggest name on it was Paris Hilton. And it was like, you know, when it came out, I was like, oh, Paris Hilton's trying to make a movie. But it's a bizarre movie. It's basically about, you know, in the future, you repossess organs and, you know, resell them, you know. It's, you know, so there's a lot of, like, laboratory stuff. There's a lot of, like... It's a real visual feast. It's got a, you know... It definitely has a vision to it. And that vision reminded me so much and reminded the bombshell so much uh, of, you know, these two movies reminded, you know, us of each other that at a certain point, I was just like, well, why not just make this movie Repo the Genetic Opera? At the very least let's have it, let's make it a musical, you know, let, let's do something with it. Like, I guess my overall note for the, you know, for the punch up is I kind of want some mirth in this movie, like any way you can inject it. You know, um, I think the movie tries with Jigsaw and with the more cartoonish elements, but there there are parts in this movie where I was thinking, man, can ju- can I see a moment where like the Punisher enjoys his job where he, you know, he takes satisfaction in killing these people, but instead it's just like, oh, the Punisher's work is never done you know, this is my, this is my punishment for, you know, for my life on earth. When I kind of just, I, I wouldn't have minded a moment where he's just like, I love this, you know, to to let the audience know, hey, you can love this too.
1: Yeah. I think there's definitely some funnier aspects of the Garth Ennis Punisher run that they could have used in this um, besides just soap, detective soap. But yeah, I mean, I, I it would have been, it would have been interesting to see them put some well-earned kind of mirthful moments in this thing instead of just like, Instead of just somebody being like, "Hey, Punisher, uh, that's gotta hurt," or something stupid like that.
0: But those are gonna be my punch ups, Mac. You know, it's there's fixes abound, but uh, it's hard to kind of nail them down. But what what about you? What do you think?
1: Well, my main punch up is I never really felt like the Punisher was gonna lose. I think he got to stack the odds against the Punisher a little bit. Maybe number one, uh, make Jigsaw some sort of threat. Either he's like faster than the Punisher, he's smarter than the Punisher, but no, he's like a clown. The only threat he is is he's more evil than the Punisher. It's like, okay, great. I mean, that's that could be anybody. I just did not buy it. The fact that Jigsaw's crew was also just so useless. Like, maybe have one of the dudes be like a good fighter. Basically build up some mid-level bosses. And you're like, well, Mac, what about Looney Ben Jim? He was a good fighter. Yeah, yeah, cut him right out of this movie. I mean, <laughs> or you got to get a better action there. That's my number one punch-up is you got to recast or cut out Looney Ben Jim. He's the fucking worst. Something that I love about Frank Miller's Daredevil run which included Punisher and honestly I do think Punisher works a little bit better as not the main character. But the aspect of the Daredevil run I want to highlight is the fact that the Kingpin, the crime boss in that run, it captures that film noir kind of dread where the odds are stacked against you. And, and in the comic run, basically the mob, the Kingpin has his hands in like everyone's pockets, right? He controls cops, he controls so many people, he's got plants at the hospital. The fact that like his tentacles are everywhere Whereas in this movie, it's the exact opposite. Punisher catches breaks everywhere. Like the cops are on Punisher's side. The FBI are like not really investigating Punisher. The criminals, they, they have zero cops on the payroll. It just, it seems like making things a little harder for the Punisher. Also this movie, it probably is, you know, in terms of the three Punisher films, the best adaptation of the Punisher. But the problem with that is that there have been three Punisher films. So when I'm watching this thing, i like, oh, okay, you made a good Punisher movie. But at this point, I don't want a good Punisher movie. I need a movie that looks at the source material, be it the previous movies or be it the comic, and thinks, where else can this go? And I don't think this movie did that at all. I think this movie just played a real safe in terms of like, like I really want to nail the character, which is great. And it does nail the character, but it, it this movie is what it is, which is like a fun midnight movie. And it didn't really try to be more, which I mean, maybe this is not even a punch up. Maybe it be a punch up for a sequel.
0: But you talked about it at the top of the show where the Punisher is a character very much of his time. And, and you kind of feel that with this movie, like, you know, it's a very nineties character. It's a very, you know, it's a character of a time when we had a more lax relationship to violence and to law enforcement's role in the violence and vigilante's role in the violence. So to watch it now, You know, even though it was made in 2008, but we're watching it in 23. But, like, I kind of want a movie, if I'm going to watch a movie made recently, I kind of want it to say something. I kind of want it to have a point of view instead of just being, you know, gleeful violence. But yeah, you know, that's, that is a project for a smarter writer than, than the people who wrote this one. But, but yeah, I would love to see. A Punisher storyline get challenged like that, but maybe that's wishful thinking.
1: Well, David, I went ahead and wrote a fan script. It's uh, Punisher Warzone 2 Punisher versus a new villain I came up with called Gunisher. You know how Punisher's into guns? Sure, Gunisher is super into guns. <laughs> Beat that Punisher, check me, all right, David. Let's enter the Punch Man video store, which is as you know, is an all action movie video store. <laughs> David, we splurged, we bought. <laughs> I don't know why I said splurge again, I'm dying. <laughs> David, we splurged. And we bought three copies of Punisher Warzone and Steelbook Edition. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So this is all action movie video store. What subsections of action would you stock these copies in?
0: Okay, the first copy is going in franchise action. There's been three Punishers. I'll be goddamned if we get the other two in stock, though. But we'll see. Uh, Second copy is going in bar action. This is a movie that deserves to have the sound down uh this you know the action plays really well the visuals are fucking ridiculous this is a really ideal bar action movie third copy this one i waffled on but i'm gonna go with cult action like this is you either really really love this movie or you really really hate this movie and and i think this is a perfect case of of a cult action movie
1: yeah david those out sound like solid categories to me if we had a fourth copy i would place this over like the employee pick section Except I would not write Max Pick. What I would put above it, David, is well. Let me tell you a story. My um, my sister, one of them, married a, a gentleman from Romania. And at the wedding, you know, is uh, man. Those, I gotta say this, this is my first and only Romanian we- uh, wedding. But uh, uh, goddamn, y'all, the, the it goes all night. And as I was leaving this wedding very late at night, I look up at a TV at this uh, wherever the reception was in Sibiu, Romania, and I look up and on the television there, it's showing. Punisher fucking Warzone. And so my section, instead of being Max Pick, above it would say, why was this fucking movie playing at this wedding reception? (laughs) Six question marks. All right, David, it's time to get into our own personal Warzone. And by that, I mean, we have to determine Punisher Warzone's position on Punch Mountain, a.k.a. the definitive ranking of action movies. Now, David, before the mountain reveals to us its choice, where would you stack this thing? And just a reminder... At the summit of the movie, the top five currently, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Raid 2, The Matrix Prey, and RRR. And down at the uh, base of the mountain, 17, 18, 19, is Passenger 57, Deadly Prey, The Poseidon Adventure. And at the very bottom, David, the Visitor Center Souvenir Smash Penny Machine is the movie Chappie, which, by the way, the Smash Penny Machine in Punch Mountain is a very, it's a good, I mean, as far as Smash Penny Machines go, this one is great, okay. That is a revenue generator. Okay, David. So, where would you rank this thing?
0: Uh, the, okay, let's let's start narrowing this down. It's going to go in the lower half of the mountain. I think that's uh, that's a given. Anywhere from there, I, I'm I'm open to it because you know if you want to argue from the from the optimistic point of view on this one, the action's killer. You know, the action's really really fun. Like I said, you know that mark out moment is an instant classic. But the movie does not support it. So if this thing wants to tumble down, especially you know there's some problematic elements. There's some stuff that just doesn't fucking work. So, if this ends up pretty low on the mountain, I
1: wouldn't say a word about it either. David, this is a very fun action movie, but I will say this about its very hardcore action scenes. They were not thrilling. This movie was a little light on thrills. And when I think about that, I think that kind of lowers this a little bit. So, I would, yeah, put this kind of towards the bottom of the mountain right now, even though, again, I had a lot of fun watching it. And if you're a fan of this movie, hey, count me among them. I think it's a lot of fun. Lot of fun. Oh, David, uh, it sounds like the rocks are falling. Sure enough, look. The falling away from the mountain, the golden letters are now revealing Punisher Warzone's place on Punch Mountain. And it is number 13, which makes 11, yes, madam, 12, cliffhanger, 13, Punisher Warzone, followed by The Driver, The Dirty Dozen, pitch black, et I'm
0: okay with that. That makes sense to me.
1: Uh, Yes, I'm okay with it. And and again, David, I cannot have an argument because if I did, the mountain will have settled it. It's the ultimate argument, Settler, David. Undefeated. Yes. Thus spoketh thy mountain. David, you hear that sound? I do. Yes. Yeah, that's our our call to action, David, because in this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes. We also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. And this month, we're spotlighting the Houston Food Bank. The Houston Food Bank is actually the nation's largest food bank, distributing food to 600 relief charities in 18 Southeast Texas counties, feeding over 800,000 people each year. The Houston Food Bank also provides community services ranging from nutrition education to assistance, with food stamp applications and hands-on job training. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to the Houston Food Bank. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation up to a certain point. Obviously, in case any bots out there are trying to steal all our money. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. For more information about the Houston Food Bank or to donate directly to them, visit houstonfoodbank.org. Now, David, you are currently in Denver. I'm currently in Austin, Texas, and we chose the Houston Food Bank because that's your hometown right that's right yeah but hey if you the listener want to look up a food bank that is closer to you for opportunities to donate or volunteer that is great please do that
0: hey mac we got ourselves a review oh let me hear it yes this one's going to be from weather girl 81 this one's going to be a five-star review A roundhouse kick to the dopamine. Really loving the show, fellas. Great to hear you two goofing again. I love it. It is refreshing to hear movies discussed for their enjoyability and not necessarily their artistic merit. One question is lingering for me. What does mark out mean exactly? I have never heard this phrase before this show, and I am curious about.
1: David, that's an excellent question. What does mark out mean?
0: So marking out, we're going to get it from the world of wrestling, which is going to get it from the world of carnival barkers or, you know, uh, our carnies. So the mark is going to be someone that you that you spot and they're going to be easy to shake down for for money or enthusiasm that sort of thing. So in wrestling, you know, if you perform a good spot, if you, you know, pull off an awesome move, then the crowd is going to respond by marking out. They're going to be holy shit, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, here, this is going to be us saying holy shit to the movie. This is going to be the movie seeing us from a mile away and us responding in kind.
1: Like in wrestling, if you get so caught up in a particular moment, you know, the idea of like, look, I know this is choreographed. I know this is quote unquote fake. I know it is staged. I know these people practice this move, but it's such an awesome moment that I just cannot help, but like love it. That's kind of like when, you know, these moments happen in movies. We know all the work that goes into these scenes. We know that a parkour guy did not get blasted out of the sky, that he was removed via CGI. But those moments are just so fucking awesome that we would literally chant the movie's name, like "Yeah, Punisher, or whatever." <laughs> so yeah, it's basically you know the moments that you know just make us go over the top with excitement.
0: So thank you, Weather Girl, eighty-one. We do, definitely do appreciate the review and we appreciate the kind words. So folks, that is gonna do it for another episode of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. macblakecomedy.com is your source for Mac's stand-up. Next week, it's episode 20, so we're doing a stone-cold classic from 1989 and directed by Rowdy Harrington. It's Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse. We'll see you next week. Bye.
1: Bye.